welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. I have no idea, Ashley, why I announce myself like that every time. There's In my head, I'm a king. Like, I'm very regal, you know? Uh, and today joining me is Ashley. How do you pronounce your last name, Ashley? Um, the easiest way would be a Frechy. That's like the American way, I guess you could say. But uh, but put that Puerto Rican on it, though. Give me some of that. So it's actually not Puerto Rican. So um, <gasps> she's a fraud. Nah. Um, so I'm Puerto Rican, Cuban, and Sicilian. So it's Italian, the last name. Whoa. All right. There, there's a lot to unpack there. Puerto Rican, Cuban, and Sicilian. Uh, you also have a podcast called Make the Space with Ashley. It's a mental mm -hmm. health podcast. W why did you start the podcast, Ashley? Um, so I started the podcast last summer, uh, 2020, June. And um, at the time, I was going through postpartum depression and anxiety after having my first child. Um, plus, like, you know, the pandemic, um, we had a big move, big job change. There were so many changes going on. Um, and I was in therapy. Um, I got back on, you know, my psych meds, but it just wasn't enough. And I always, I've always been a mental health advocate for as long as I can remember. I did like advocacy work in college and, you know, always, you know, preach that stuff. And I always wanted a platform to talk about my journey but every platform that I would try, like I always got rejected, whether it was like doing spoken word at in college or like I had like a Christian group I was a part of and like they would do Testimony Tuesday. And I was like, hey, this is my testimony. I want to talk about it. And like they never would pick me. So it's like mental health, like nobody ever wanted to talk about it. And I kind of felt really rejected in that. And then I had a friend who has a podcast and I reached out to him. I was like, yo, how are you doing this? Because like, I, I want to do something like this. And he told me how he uses that anchor app. How it's like really user friendly and easy and seamless. And I was like, all right, well, if he could do it, why can't I? And I wanted an outlet to just talk about what I was going through, even if nobody would listen. Like I just needed to get it out. And that's, that's when I started it. And now we're on season two. And like, I haven't done a solo episode in a long time. Cause like, I'm always telling people like, if you want to come on the show, like reach out, like if you want to talk about anything mental health related, reach out to me. And I have people like yourself, like you were on the show last week, always reaching out like, Hey, I want to come on the show. Da, da, da. And I'm like, bet, because it's easier to have a guest than to just talk about myself. And it's not just a, a safe space for me to talk about my stuff, but it's a safe space for everybody. So that, that title, you talk about a safe space. Where did the title Make the Space come from? So I always, so I watched the show um, Broad City. I don't know if you're familiar. Um, so it's, I think it's on Comedy Central, but you can watch it on Hulu. Um, it's a comfort show for me. And it's basically like these two best friends. They're like 20-something year olds in New York City and going through a bunch of shenanigans. It's hilarious. But um, I love that show to death. And they have an episode called Mason. In the episode, one of the characters, Abby, she's like feeling it's like she's in a rut and she's feeling like 
she's not allowed to like be creative at her job and like they're not really accepting of her gifts because she's an illustrator um and she's working at this store and she wants to do like um like a window setting and they're like no 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 you're not ready and basically like she was just like i'm gonna space i'm gonna do it and so like no one gave her a platform to show her creativity so she did it herself she's like i'm making the space for myself and nobody's gonna make it for me i'm gonna do it and that's what she did and there's more into that episode but when i was watching that episode it was like a light bulb went off in my head i was like make the space i'm like that's what i could do too like if no one's gonna make the space for me to do it like i can make it for myself so and that's where the title came from so they inspired me i would love to tell them that one day like the creators of the show because i freaking love that show so much but yeah (laughs) Now, I, I love that. And I'm sure you could probably reach out through Instagram. So many people are uh, accessible through Instagram or Twitter. Uh, even if it doesn't get to them, their people will get it. And you never know down the road uh, uh, how, how it could circle back to you. But uh, that, that's yeah. very inspiring. I love that. Thanks. Yeah, I could give it a try. Like, I always think like, you know, like celebrities and stuff like they don't really check that stuff so it's like it never really crossed my mind to like reach out to them via instagram and be like hey like you guys inspire me to do this check it out <laughs> well well you never know i mean you got that you got cuban you got italian you got puerto rican <laughs> you know you check a lot of boxes for them you're a woman you're a mom with you know <laughs> with postpartum depression talk to us first of all what are the the symptoms of postpartum depression and what is that? How is that different than depression? I mean, obviously, it's like right after you have the baby. But mm-hmm. uh, t- t- walk us through that. So, um, so yeah, I have a history of depression, anxiety. I actually went through perinatal depression and anxiety. Like, whole the whole pregnancy was very difficult uh, mentally and emotionally. And then postpartum depression came. And so, like, women experience blues um you know kind of like they feel like a little sad like the first couple of weeks after the pregnancy but like postpartum depression is kind of a little deeper than that um some women could have like negative feelings towards their child or like disassociation and then some women could have just like negative thoughts and feelings like towards themselves um and just like not have motivation and then like the anxiety part is like just constantly worrying about your child like i was constantly worrying like I would wake up multiple times in the middle of the night and check on my child because I was afraid she was going to die from um, SIDS Um, or like just like so um, anal about everything. Like, no, it has to be like this kind of soap and and this type of food and and all kinds of stuff. So um, and like with my depression, I didn't have like that disassociation with my daughter. I um, I kind of just was like going through like stuff like towards myself. Like I didn't, I didn't feel like a good enough mom. Um, I had an emergency C-section, so I didn't feel like I gave birth to her. I was feeling like, Oh, life was ripped out of me. So that made me feel less of a woman. Um, I, I couldn't breastfeed because of the depression and the trauma. Um, and then like I had my daughter and then like days after the pandemic happened, the world shut down. So that also contributed to like the depression and anxiety. And so like overall, like I just didn't feel like deserving of my child. I didn't feel like a woman. Um, I didn't feel like a good mother. And um, like those were just like kind of some of like the negative thoughts that I went through. So you said if you have a family history of it, the other family members had warned you that you were probably going to go through this. Did they 
did they tell you how to prepare for it and how to get through it? What, was there any advice or tips that they gave you? Um, so, I mean, we have a family history of like mental illnesses, but like they were just saying like, oh, you already have depression, anxiety. So you will have postpartum depression, anxiety. Um, there wasn't really like any tips or anything that anyone gave me, like not even the doctors. Um, and being that we was in the pandemic, I didn't really have that, that village, you know, to help me with me and my child because like the pandemic's just starting. We're on lockdown. Nobody could come visit me. Um, not even my mom. So, you know, it was, it was, it was tough. It was really hard. And, um, you know, people, especially people who don't have children give you advice like, Oh, sleep when the baby sleeps or go outside and get some fresh air. And I'm like, but we're in a pandemic. And like, you really think I'm going to be able to sleep when the baby sleeps when there's like a stack of dishes that needs to be cleaned or I have to do laundry. Like, you know, like people try, but it's like, you, you don't get it until like you're actually in it. And I feel like it was different too compared to other moms. Cause it's like, I became a mom during a pandemic. So like all my resources, all my people were like cut off for me for a whole year. Well, you know, you brought up an interesting point in terms of uh, having a C-section. You felt like the baby was ripped out of you versus you giving birth to the baby. Can you tell me more about that? Cause I've never thought of that at all. I just was like, Oh, the woman must be happy. That you know uh, the the vagina is, gets to stay intact. <laughs> yeah, like some women are actually like, oh, I'd rather have a C section than give birth. But like, I wanted to bring my child in this world. Like, I carried her for nine months. I wanted to go through that and be, I don't know, like that warrior and you know push her out. And like, when you have a birth plan, like I I kind of have a birth plan. I was like, okay, I want to have my child vaginally. Um, I wanted like a mirror in front of me so I could see everything. Um, you know, I had all that plan, but I had to get induced because she was not trying to come out. Um, and when you get induced, your your risk for a C-section increases. So um, it was really upsetting because like as soon as I came into the hospital, I told my care team, I was like, I don't want a C-section unless it's life or death. And everybody was on the same page. She was like, you got it, mom. Like, it's your show. So I'm getting induced. We're doing all, all of these different procedures to try to get things moving along. Everything's going great. And then out of nowhere, um, I got really sick. I had an infection and like I had a fever of like 107. The baby was in distress. Her heart rate was super high. My blood pressure was through the roof. Um, and there was kind of like a delay of care because like my midwife had ordered for me to get antibiotics. I was supposed to get those let them sit for like 30 minutes to an hour and see if the, the infection would subside. Now the nurse that was taking care of me, she wasn't on top of her shit. She was acting all nonchalant, like taking her sweet ass time. And then it's like, when it came to give me the antibiotics, my ID blew. Yeah. She was being really slow with everything. And I was getting me working, working in healthcare, having been through traumas, cold blues. I'm getting frustrated. Cause I'm like, this is urgent. You know what I'm saying? And then my midwife comes back, comes back, comes back in, and she's like, "Have we started the antibiotics?" And she's like, "No, we just got IV access. It had already been like 15, 20 minutes." And then my midwife looks at me all scared, and she was like, 
I think that we need to do an emergency C-section. She's like, if we wait any longer, she's like, you haven't even started the antibiotics. Like you and the baby are going to be in danger. Like something's bad's going to happen to one of you or both of you. So of course me wanting to save my child, I was like, screw these antibiotics. Like we have to do this. But I remember just crying in so much like emotional pain, like this is not fair. Like I out loud said that I'm like, this is not fair. Like we were doing so well. And I was so pissed at that nurse because of her negligence, you know? And so, yeah, like, I felt like life got ripped out of me. Cause like that wasn't my plan. And I felt like that still could have been the plan if I had the care that I should have had. I felt like I got cheated out of that experience. Right. Cause I'm sure, you know, uh, other family members probably have had more of a natural birth and you wanted to be part of that story, that community. Um, and also just the idea of, of giving birth, the images that come along with it, such a beautiful thing. And then you did, like you said, you, you had all the preparation. You, you had, a, you had a midwife, you had all look. You cracking your neck right now. The people can't see it, but she cracking. She she like if I see that nurse on the street, it's, it's all sight. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have some words. <laughs> um, and but you know, you also mentioned Ashley that you had already been struggling with depression. Uh, how far back did you notice that? Uh, you know, when you look back to your childhood, and was there trauma involved with that? Yes, I remember as young as eight years old, always feeling sad. Like I was, I always felt sad. I always felt alone. I always was feeling misunderstood. Like I remember, and it wasn't like sad, like, oh, I don't have any friends because I did. And I had, a, you know, I have a great family and lots and lots of cousins. Um, it was just more of, I don't know. It was like a deep sadness, you know, like I, I knew it wasn't normal, like as a kid to like, feel like that all the time and um yeah there was I would say there was definitely like trauma from different ends like I'm, I'm from New York City I'm from the Bronx you know um when I was born my parents were together and but they separated when I was three um because my father was and um when my mom left him you know we had to live in a shelter for like a year once the shelter you know found us a place to live like I've you know I lived in the projects in Throsneck, New York, and I, you know, spent my time between like Kingsbridge in the Bronx and, and New York. And then of course, like living in the city, like you see all kinds of crazy stuff, crackheads, people getting ganged up, stabbed, gunshots, you know, plus the environmental factor, like it's not the cleanest place, you know, smog in the air, all that stuff. And yeah, like there was, a, there was lots of trauma, you know, like, my, my dad, he was abusive to us. You know, what he considered discipline was not, you know, like I would go home with like bruises on my legs. Like I remember one time I talked back to him and he split my lip open, you know, backhanding me in the mouth, like lots of trauma. And like growing up, I wasn't, I didn't really have a good relationship with my father. I always felt like he wanted another boy. I'm his only girl. And I never had that like, oh, daddy's little princess relationship, you know? So yeah, like, definitely like we could we could talk about trauma all day long <laughs> like lots and lots and lots of trauma so for sure <laughs> so what what kind of resources uh did you latch on to well i remember like since i was a little girl i always loved school i love learning so that was something i always looked forward to i loved reading 
you know, that was kind of like escapism for me. And um, around eight years old was when I started writing poetry. That was a big like coping mechanism for me. And it still is to this day. So, yeah, because you brought up spoken word earlier. And for, for the listeners out there who don't know, because I, I just actually had to introduce Michelle to spoken word. I was like, you don't know what spoken word is. <laughs> I don't know if we would have got this far had I known that. Uh, but, uh, but for the listeners out there, what, what's the difference between spoken word and poetry? Because uh, we know Amanda Gorman, that now she blunt. Now, now she's bringing some shine to the to the poetry slash spoken word uh, realm. So can you break that down for us? I mean, in, in my definition, I feel like spoken word is a it's a performance, you know, because I could get up stage and like read from a paper. Um, and some spoken word artists do do that. They, you know, they don't memorize um, their work. And I mean, that is kind of hard, especially if you have a long ass poem. But it's it's truly a performance, you know you people could hear the emotion in your voice the way you're moving on the stage the way you're moving your hands the way you're connecting with your audience through eye contact the you know the the candor that you have like it's it's truly a performance and you i mean you could go up stage and you know say your poem but if you have like just this monotone voice this straight face and you're standing still as a soldier um it's not really going to be received. You're not going to move your audience. But if you're walking from one side to the stage to the other, and there's affliction in your tone and your in your voice, and you know you're moving your hands to enunciate, you know certain things in the poem. That's where it really becomes a performance, and it really becomes moving, and people could could feel what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. It is so much more uh, theatrical uh, spoken word. And uh, with the with the with the pauses and the silences, and sometimes there's like group yeah. spoken word, and uh, I mean, I, you, I usually end up crying or angry or something. Like you, you're not the same at the end of a spoken word uh, performance as you were when it started. They they move you in either direction or not. Um, and, and so you talked about poetry. You talked about learning. Uh, were there people that you that also anchored you? Was there someone who saw, you know, this, this, you know, this, this young girl who was going through a lot and, uh, and kind of guided you on some level? Um, no, (laughs) um, growing up, I have an older brother. Um, we're like, mm, like eight years apart, but I grew up the oldest in my household because my brother was always getting locked up for selling drugs. Um, so I didn't really grow up with my brother. So I didn't have that older sibling to look up to. And then like, you know, my mom, she's a great mother, but like, you know, being a single mom of three kids, I don't think she really had time to like hone in on, you know, our gifts and things like that. Like we just trying to survive really, you know, like there were times that all that was in the fridge was a box of baking soda, you know? So it's like, mom don't really got time to to listen to your poetry or or you know come out you know to your plays and stuff like you know what i'm saying and i don't and i don't hold her for that like you know does it does it hurt yeah of course but you got to understand the circumstances so honestly no i didn't have um i didn't have anyone i didn't have a mentor i didn't have like you know that older sibling or anything like that 
you, you talked about moms not coming out to your plays. Were you involved in theater also? Um, yeah, like um, I did um, like show choir, like Glee. <laughs> I did um, that in high school. I was like in every chorus you can name. I, I did like the musicals, like um, I did Cats. And my sister too, like she was in the band. Um, she was in chorus, things like that. So, you know, we, my sister and I, we definitely like dabbled in the arts when we were younger. Hold on. I feel like you holding out on us, Ashley. I mean, I, I, you, I, okay. It was rough, but you got a voice on you then. You got some pipes. No, 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 no. I don't understand how I made it into show choir or any of that because like my voice is not like that. Like I'm, I'm just a regular, regular alto like it's nothing special <laughs> all right i mean i i just know don't, don't nobody just waltz in the cats you know like there is it's an ex- oh, I, mean, I wasn't a character i was a, i was a dancer because i didn't have the confidence to try out for a role so i was like i'll just dance <laughs> oh okay but i mean don't diminish that i mean you still got on stage though right you performed in front of some people you got your little applause yeah the okay yeah it was it was fun like the makeup, the costume, and like my high school went all out. Like it was like on some Broadway level type stuff. And I know like many high schools feel like, oh, there's this Broadway level. Like, no, like this was like A1 sauce. It was great. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you know, I just saw recently on your Instagram that you were talking about uh getting back on meds. Can you can you talk to us? about that because there's so many people right now who have gotten off going back on have had trouble uh with their meds what's been your experience with uh the different medications so i've i've tried like everything so i started with meds when i was like 16 um i started with lexapro that like made me feel like a zombie and like being like this you know you know, six-year-old that just wants, like, autonomy and control, I was like, all right, I'm not taking this no more. So, like, throughout my whole life, I was always on and off, on and off. And then um, before I had my daughter, I was on, like, four different meds. But, like, my psychiatrist was very pushy. Like, looking back on it, I didn't really, like, advocate for myself. And he was very pushy. Like, every time I'll come in, he'll be like, oh, how you doing? Da, da, da. And I'll be like, I'm depressed. I'm this, I'm that. And he'll be like, okay, let's up the dose on this and let's add this. And I will always, I'll, in the back of my head, I always felt like, I don't know, like, this doesn't feel right. Like, I don't think I should be on all these meds at these high doses. And he was like, do you want to feel better? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, then you should take this. And I'm like, okay, I guess you're the expert. So, um, and then I got back on meds. I kind of had like, um, I don't even know what to call it. I had like this episode that happened during my postpartum depression. And that was like my, that was when I was like, okay, the talk therapy is not enough. I need to get back on meds. And I found a new psychiatrist and she basically was like, you know, you're in control. Like, this is your care plan. She's like, whatever you want to try, let me know. So I did some research and now I'm on Trintelix, which is like new on kind of new on the market. Um, and it's been great. That's for depression. And I'm on boost bar for my anxiety and then I'm on um Seroquel because I have insomnia but um I the only reason why I was able to get back on the meds was because I actually found a psychiatrist that 
would let me be in control and like would listen to what I needed and wasn't so pushy. You know, when I came to her and I was like, hey, I did my research on this new mentoring telex and, you know, I, I would really like to try. She was like, okay. And that was it. It wasn't like, oh, but maybe we should. Or do you think she was just like, okay. She's like, yeah, let's, let's start at the smallest dose and we'll take it from there. So there's a lot of shame when it, there's a lot of pill shaming when it comes to being on medication. I know I felt that all my life, but I know for me, like, I just got to the point where I was just like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm like, if someone thinks that I'm a psycho or crazy and I'm using air quotes, you know, you guys can't see me. Um, Cause I don't like using those words. Cause that just stigmatizes um, mental illness. But if people think those things because I'm on medication, that's a reflection of your character, not mine. So it's like, this is what works for me. And this is what helps me get through my day to day, you know? And I think like the key to like, if people are thinking about getting on medication, not only do you have to find a psychi- find a therapist that, that fits with you, but you also got to find a psychiatrist that fits with you and actually cares about you. What else? Because like you said, the meds are, is one part of it. Uh, the talk therapy is another. What else are you incorporating uh, into your lifestyle plan to manage the depression and anxiety? Um, I would say exercising or like, it doesn't even have to be like full-blown exercising where like I'm dripping sweat, but it's like, if I get out and get my body moving, I get some of that sun on my skin, like that helps me feel good, getting some fresh air. Um, definitely my support system. You know, I have some people in my life and, you know, if they listen to this, y'all know who you are, that I know that I could reach out to and I could talk to them. Or sometimes like, like my friend today, Emily, like she just sensed like something was up with me and she was just like, you good? And I was like, nah. And we just started talking. She was like, I kind of knew because like you've been napping a lot lately and that's not really you. (laughs) So like my support system really helped me um getting outside getting some exercise helps too um you know I still write poetry to this day like that's a big thing for me you know and I'm gonna flex a little like I got nine of my pieces published and it was paid publishing so your girl is a published author just gonna put it out there let's go (laughs) (laughs) um and so I still write poetry to this day and reading is still a big outlet for me um I love to read and when I say it's like reading, like a lot of people are like, oh, like she lives, she probably reads fiction because she wants to escape. Like I like to read like a lot of like um, educational stuff, like, and I like biographies and things about history. Like right now I'm reading um, Oprah's uh, What Happened to You. My cousin um, sent it to me for Mother's Day um, and that's about trauma. And so like maybe like for some people, a book like that's not really like an escape, but like I like to learn more about the mind and about mental health and and traumas and things like that, because not only does it give me a better insight on myself, but on others, too. So those are kind of some of the things that I I use on a daily. I'm not I'll be honest with you, like there's some days where I'm not I'm not 100 percent consistent and I just got to celebrate those little wins like, hey. Um, I stood hydrated today and, and I ate like that was, that's all I could do. <laughs> I, I feel you. There are days where I'm like, I took a shower. I think we're done. I think we're done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause when you're depressed, like 
Like, like I'll be, I'll be a hundred percent honest with you right now. Like we got on and you was like, I could tell you how to run day. Like I'll be a hundred percent honest and with you and the listeners. Like I'm going through a depressive episode right now and, um, it's been hard. So like today I was like, all right, I showered, I ate two meals, didn't get to go outside, but I did something, you know? So I always tell myself, I'm like, yes, I, yes, I have these coping skills, but there's some days I just don't have the energy to do all of them, you know? So it's like, I'm going to just do the best that I can. And I have to try to celebrate those wins, you know? Well, I applaud you for even noticing and being aware of how you did take care of yourself and how you did show up for yourself. Uh, because, you. you know, when, when we're in the throes of depression, we, we tend to think, well, the entire day was just, <laughs> yeah, you know? Uh, so, so I salute you for that. Um, earlier, you know, I also want to highlight earlier, you mentioned how as a kid, you know, when you're struggling through depression, you felt alone, although you were surrounded by a lot of family members, uh, you're surrounded by a lot of people. And I think that people think, um, alone means like you're just isolated and by yourself. But a lot of times you can be surrounded by a bunch of people and still, for some reason, feel like an outsider or, or like you're not a part of the group. Is it is it because of your mixed heritage? Why why didn't you feel like you were included or a part of uh, the different groups growing up? Well, I think like first and foremost, it stemmed from like the way that my father treated me. Um, like I said, I never had that daddy's little princess type relationship. You know, I'm his only girl. And you would think that he would treat me like that, but he sure as hell did it. And like, I was always, I'll be honest, I was jealous of other girls who had that relationship with their father. Like I would see fathers who, who have nothing but girls and they still treated every single girl like that. It's like so loving and protective and like give them anything. Like mommy says no, but daddy's going to say yes. I didn't have that. So, but I, but I would see how my brothers were treated and I would see how like bad behavior would be rewarded. So that kind of made me feel like, is there something wrong with me? And then, um, growing up, um, I was bullied a lot. Like when I was, when I was in elementary school, I was a really skinny, scrawny kid. And, um, like even in middle school too. And I remember like all the girls were developing super fast. Everybody one day woke up looking like grown ass women. And here I was still looking like I was 10. Um, well not 10, looking like I was six. So, you know, I got picked on a lot in school and, um, and then like the, like, I really started to feel like an outsider once we left New York, cause I live in PA now and I started, we moved out here and I went to a predominantly white school in the beginning. Um, there was very few Latino and black kids. And that was the first time I experienced, uh, racism. Um, cause like, obviously it's in New York city, like racism is everywhere, but it's, like in my neighborhood where I live, like it was all black and Latino. So there was no, none of that. And in New York city in general, like the, the racism is not like so blatant and in your face. When I came to PA, forget about it. And I was like, Whoa, like it was crazy. Cause I'm like, yes, we learn about this in school and we read about it. We talk about it, but I'm like, I'm a kid experiencing it for the first time coming from a place that's so diverse and where like diversity is celebrated. And here I am being rejected. So I think some of those things is what led me to feel like always alone and then and like an outsider. 
Yeah, and definitely in those moments where we feel rejected, uh, I mean, anger swells up, especially because I would imagine it's also coming from adults. It's not just coming from other kids. Like you're picking up, you know, here you are, a young kid, and you're getting, you know, beef from adults. And you're like, y'all, y'all want to go? Like, what's going on? I'm only 10. <laughs> like, what's good? We'll throw hands right now. <laughs> No, for real. I had a teacher who um, I remember um, in like fifth grade, because that's when I moved out here. Um, they tried to put me in an ESL class just because I'm Latina. I was like, hello, English is my first language. Excuse me. Like, like no offense to the ESL kids. Like, shout out to y'all for like knowing two languages. That's hard. I mean, and I'm bilingual, but like my Spanish is real like spanglish new york style like it's not you know quote-unquote proper spanish so they was like oh she's she's latina we're gonna put her esl and i was like what am i and my mom had to fight to get me out of that and then when i was placed in a regular classroom um it was me and like two other latinas and i remember there was this girl samantha she was puerto rican and italian and there was this girl jasmine she was puerto rican we was the only puerto ricans in that class and the teacher, like, she would give us the only attitude, always shading us in front of the kids. And I was like, this teacher is racist. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. And, it, yeah, so I definitely experienced it from adults, big time. And I was like, yo, Miss Gilbert, like, what's up? You want to fight or no? Like, you know, I'm, I'm from the projects and I will get projectish. Don't play me. Don't play right. me. And, and it's funny because when you, when you are one of the few minorities in the classroom, you remember the names of all the other minorities in the classroom forever. Like I, 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 yes. I went to a, a white Catholic school and I remember Joshua Walsh and Semret Gebra Hewitt and her sister, Owet Gebra Hewitt. Uh, and, and there, and there was a kid, uh, Craig Ferguson, who was in our class also. And I, and it were only black kids in the whole school forever etched in my brain. <laughs> yes. You remember all. And it was funny too. Cause at lunch, lunchtime bro like I would sit at the table with all the black and Latino kids and we would be in a sea of white kids and there would literally be one long lunch table where all of us would congregate because that was like our safe space and if you saw a black or a Spanish kid somewhere else at a different table it was because they were sitting with like the football team or the basketball team but other than that we all sat together because we weren't welcome anywhere else so you talked about going to talk therapy. Were there any strategies, tools, or techniques that you have learned in talk therapy to help you cope with depression and anxiety? I think one of the, the biggest things like therapy has taught me is to not be afraid to talk about my depression and my anxiety. Because when I first started taking therapy really seriously, because um, even with I was I was on and off medication. Um, you know, from the time of like eight up until, you know, my twenties and the same thing with therapy, I was in and out. And when I started to take it seriously, um, you know, I really discovered like I was very guarded, um, even guarded with my therapist, you know, I was like, why we got to talk about that? <laughs> like, why we got to unpack that, you know? And I learned, you know, to, 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 you know, be less guarded and bring my walls down and be more vulnerable. And like, now I feel like my vulnerability has been my superpower. Um, and I'm actually not yet, but uh, one of the things we're going to be doing too is EMDR therapy. Um, so 
that's like um, like like for trauma therapy um but yeah I think that's the biggest thing like you know to not be you know so guarded and you know not be afraid to like freely you know talk about my my mental illness I, I love that and then is there anything that we haven't talked about Ashley that you think would be a benefit to anyone struggling with postpartum depression depression anxiety or someone who might be thinking about uh taking meds is there anything in the, in the mental health at, uh, realm or that's been a part of your journey that we haven't covered um that's a good question i think the, the only thing i could say is like in, in regards to you know talk therapy like give it a chance you know a lot of people they're like oh i've tried therapy it doesn't work but like they literally went to like one session and they wasn't feeling the vibe and they was like all right i'm out like finding a therapist is just like dating if you take your dating life seriously you should take your mental health seriously if you are willing to swipe left swipe right and meet people on dates and and try out different people you have to do the same with your therapist like if you meet one therapist and after like the first or two sessions you're not feeling it try another one get referred to another one don't give up because your mental health should be taken seriously and there's a therapist out there that will fit for you you guys could be a good fit and the same thing with you know your psychiatrist you know if you're thinking about taking meds um you know i know it's it's hard to say like oh don't feel ashamed of that because there's still so much stigma about it about it but really don't you know there's there's nothing to be ashamed of when it comes to taking medication like for some people regular coping skills helps their you know their mental health or just plain old talk therapy helps for me i need a combination of everything and and that's okay. And the same way where you have to feel out your therapist and find the right one for you, do the same with your psychiatrist. And when you find a psychiatrist that's actually going to work for you and care for you, then I think that's when the shame, you know, starts to, you know, break away when it comes to taking the medication. I love that. And then last question, and ask this of all my guests, because I always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life before you kill yourself what would you say to them ashley oh that's a that's a good question before you kill yourself what would i say to them i'm gonna say what i wish somebody said to me being a three-time suicide survivor you belong here you are wanted you are loved and you have purpose. And and that may sound cliche as hell, but it's the truth. You know, God or whatever higher power you may believe in or not makes no mistakes. And there's a reason why you're here. There's a reason why you're present. There's a reason why you're listening today. You know, so if you, you listen to this and, and this is what's going to help you get through the night or get through one day, get through that day, get through that night. And you're going to see that life is worth living and we need you here and, and you belong here. I love it. Thank you so much, Ashley. How can people get a hold of you? Where can they find your podcast or on Instagram? Um, so I'm not going to be on no dating apps, so don't try to look for me there. <laughs> but um, if you want to listen to the podcast is make the space with Ashley Oh, uh, it's on Spotify, 
Anchor, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast page at Make the Space with Ashley. That is my only social media because I, ha- I don't have a good relationship with social media. And that's it. <laughs> I love it. That's so smart. I just started unfollowing everybody on my Instagram because it is just, it takes, it takes up too much mental and emotional bandwidth. Um, I agree. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALKS. Or for my international listeners, there are, are, there are international numbers, no matter what country you're in, you're in no matter what continent you are on, uh, there is a number for you to call. There is a group for you to reach out to and be a part of. There's a chat. There's a link. There's something out there for you. And if you're thinking about cost, there are resources to help you cover your mental health costs also. It's all linked in the show notes, no matter whether you're going through postpartum depression, anxiety, if you're part of the LGBTQ community, all those numbers are in the show notes. No matter what age, there are resources out there to help you. They're free and you have access, but you have to make the first step. You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thank you. Take care.